This is Primal Screen, a weekly radio show airing Monday evenings on Triple R. Primal Screen is about movies, from the ones on the big screen to the ones you stream. Hope you enjoy the podcast version and feel free to get in touch via the Primal Screen Facebook page or the Triple R website. Hello and welcome to Primal Screen, a Triple R film criticism show and podcast. My name is Flick Ford and joining me in the cave is Emma Westwood. Hello, Flick. Hello, Emma. It's just the two of us. I know. Oh, but it's, it's so um, nice to be here with yeah. you. <laughs> I'm glad you were coming in. Otherwise, this would be a uh, very interesting show. Just me rambling. Flick's monologue. Yeah. <laughs> Watch out. We go on a family Christmas vacation to a remote cabin in the woods for Veronica Franz and Severin Fiala's wintry new horror, The Lodge. We return to Atlanta in 1996 for the Summer Olympics in Clint Eastwood's security guard as terror suspect thriller, Richard Jewell. And we see you in the NT for Maya Newell's In the Blood It Runs, a doco. In My Blood It Runs, a doco about an exceptional young man, a 10-year-old healer, as he navigates school, the cops, and holding on to the knowledge systems of his community. But first, it's time for the Primal Screen News Bulletin for the week. A recent report has shown that Australians who pirate films put themselves at risk of becoming victims of fraud, having their personal details exposed or viruses. The findings of the report by Creative Content are being used in a new anti-piracy campaign to deter movie fans from unlawfully sourcing their fake flicks. The report warns that malware can... Um, expose users to malicious software that can steal personal data such as email addresses, bank details, credit cards, passwords, photos and videos and facilitate identity theft. Launched today, Creative Content's latest anti-piracy campaign highlights the increased cyber safety risks to pirates with apparently 21% of Australians aged 18 plus admitting to pirating content last year. Oh dear! I, I actually don't. This is a bit embarrassing, but I don't know how to pirate films. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's, it's, um, I think you need a really good internet connection, which I don't have. <laughs> Neither. But um, also, I'm more than happy to pay for my films. And um, also, yeah, and also, I, there's so many good free streaming services like ABC on um, on demand and SPS on demand. A lot of those. Are... I think it's just more the the pitch of what uh, digital um, streaming offers you which is the idea that you could get anything at any time like yeah. through either the google play or the you know youtube or the apple you know whatever platform you, you choose to use and it is frustrating when you can't get stuff and it's it's like that's not the brief that's not what we're given today yeah. We, yeah. we should be able to get everything <laughs> I remember looking for network um, at one stage and being very frustrated, and then eventually it pops up on something. I think it's on Netflix now, but yeah, and yeah. I think there's some some really excellent ones. I actually quite like the fact that um, streaming services that offer almost a curatorship of really excellent cinema. So mm. you kind of it's almost like you're being led through cinematic great so I'm really um I think I don't know I feel like there's a real market for it so yeah um also you could apparently protect your personal data so (laughs) (laughs) 
There you go. Yeah. Good old VPN. Hot tip. <laughs> um, also this week we had, or last week, we had the Transitions Film Festival kicking off, which happened on Thursday night. Uh, the festival is a collection of documentaries about innovative technology, social change and ideas for a better world. So there's plenty of fantastic docos screening until Friday the 6th of March. And be sure to check out the program online at transitionsfilmfestival.com.au, I'm guessing. I think so. Or go through the Cinema Nova website yeah, as well. Yeah. Mm. Um, anyway, shall we see what's on at the movies? How would you feel about going to the mountains for Christmas with Grace? She really wants to get to know you guys. So it's never easy being the new stepmom, but for Riley Keogh's Grace, it's a particularly bumpy and bloody ride. After a traumatic start to their new relationship, Grace and her soon-to-be husband, Richard, played by Richard Armitage, decide to journey out to the woods for a Christmassy holiday with Richard's two young children, Aidan and Mia, played by Jaden, Martell and Leah, uh, Leah McHugh respectively. But when Richard is called away to work, things get a little out of hand. Emma, did the lodge have you booking in a twin double or were you checking out before you'd even tip the luggage <laughs> You're so going by the Paul, <laughs> the Paul Anthony Nelson School of Intros. Yeah. Well done, Flick. Well done. I, I was, try. I was just listening to that screen, uh, that uh, sound uh, grab that you did there and it sounded really menacing. <laughs> yeah, I love it. It's just like I, would, I did a uh, Christmas special with uh, Plato's Cave alumnus um, Stewie, Stewie Richards, the last great year. Stewie Richards, and we did. Um, I want to add this to Christmas films list because it is set at Christmas. It's a, t- it's a bit of decoration going on. It is. <laughs> yes, they don't put up a tree, no. but you could argue that they've got a lot of Christmas trees around in the snow. Yeah. You know, the fir yeah. trees. But um, there's yeah. a Santa as well in it. There's a sa- yes, <laughs> an automated yes. Santa, but still which Santa was same. really creepy and awful. Mm. That was because uh, I've seen a lot of rock and roll Santa statuettes, you know, or you know those electric, <laughs> your know, battery operated things. Yeah, but yeah. but that yeah, that uh, sound grab you played just sounded very menacing, and it came from the the father character, who I think was probably the less menacing character of this film. And what I liked about this. Uh, particularly in watching a lot of horror, I like watching horror, was that it was hard to choose or, or to, hard to uh, pick where the actual horror was um, sourced from in this film. It kind of seemed to, I think, throw out a whole lot of red herrings along yeah, the way that absolutely. you were wondering where is our monster, what is it, you know. The film's called The Lodge, so it could be a haunted house film, you mm. know. It could be the mother character. Uh, right at the start of the film, you're not in, you know, she's unhinged. You're not entirely sure. Mm. Um, also the creepy doll. The creepy, the yes. The creepy doll of <laughs> yeah. the mother. Yes. That was really bizarre. And then um, Grace as the stepmom is um, not introduced till quite a little bit into the film. So in that way of holding off the introduction of her, there's sort of creates a sense of menace. Yeah, and the first time we see her is actually a silhouette. Yes, and, exactly. Um, that kind of yeah. And we actually get a little bit of a backstory, more the kids looking online and finding out who she is mm. before we meet her, and she has a creepy cult <laughs> background. Hey, don't we all, Emma? Yeah. <laughs> Let's not blame the woman. <laughs> and um, and then the kids themselves. Yeah. Like um, I think that 
the there's a, a certain darkness to the children. I think uh, Leah McHugh, especially How good in that is role. He? Yeah. Um, oh, sorry, her. her. Yeah, she she was just showed um, uh, distress in a yeah. quite amazing way. I thought for someone so young. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah it's quite heartbreaking the mm-hmm. performances. Um, Jaden Martell. Is it Martel? Yeah, Martel, who's the young boy. I I just think he's fantastic because we would have yeah. seen him previously in It. Did you have to watch That's that? That's what it was. <laughs> I was looking yeah. at him trying to work out where has he been. In, and yeah, yeah. He's got a right. very expressive face. Yeah, I, I yeah. Quite, I thought the ch- the child actors in this were exceptional. Yeah, exactly. Mm. And they had a big load to to bear in the film. Mm. Um, I think that. Uh, I look. I particularly I liked it as a horror movie. I have to say, um, I'm not entirely sure of where it went. I'm just yeah. not entirely sure of where it went. Really, I completely <laughs> agree with that. I um, I'm not a big horror uh, aficionado, so I was actually very keen to see what your thoughts of this were. Uh, I just thought it was really messy. I mm-hmm. was expecting to be more scared than I was. There's definitely a lot of jump scares and as you were saying before, Emma, about the red herrings, like I feel like the film is 90% that. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm not sure. The sound, and you heard in the snippet that we played you, you do get a sense of how the sound design is being used and it's throughout the film where they have this really fo- um, intense, uh, there's actually intense organ music at one point, which I thought was quite scary. And, it's, you know, sticking with Christmassy themes, there's some some lovely... <laughs> Um, caroling, well, not caroling, ch- um, prayers that happen. And well, the, it, it does have a religious bent. Yeah. This film, I mean, it's not just the cult. The family themselves have, um, while not being too heavy-handed with it, mm. they definitely have um, a religious, a Christian persuasion yeah, going absolutely. on. Yeah. And um, so it's interesting, even in the naming of the characters, that she's called Grace. You know mm. that it's, uh, but. Yeah, the film, I don't know whether anyone's seen Goodnight Mommy, Mommy, I'll say it like that, <laughs> Goodnight Mummy, which is uh, these um, filmmakers' previous film, um, which was actually their debut, if I remember rightly. And there are a lot of similarities between the two films, mainly the there's definitely the idea of this kind of um, – the the matriarchal relationship with children um, mm. that's it very you know very strong very prevalent between the two films uh, whether that's an actual mother or not and even in Goodnight Mommy it was sort of around w- whether she was actually their mother or not she had um, surgery which required her face to be covered up and they were unsure whether she was actually the twin oh, boys I were unsure this film. yeah yeah so, I never saw it I remember the trailer though yeah it was mm-hmm. another one that I think that these guys are failing uh, falling into oh I shouldn't have said failing that's terrible falling into where um, they're really good setups not quite yeah. being able to wrap it up. I felt that way with this film in that when I was quite excited, I really like um, Riley Keough. I think she's fantastic. She's amazing. Actor, yeah. yeah. We were talking about her off air and just her her face is just fantastic. The way in which it's able to switch 
sort of illuminate in his smile but then in other moments she just turns and she's got this real um, abrasiveness to her face which I think it works so well with this film. Mm. And I love the idea of this stepmom and children dynamic. So she's left in this house um, that's you know potentially haunted, um, well, very creepy regardless, with lots of religious paraphernalia. She's got this traumatic cult past. Like it's a great setup. Yeah. And I love that sort of um, – the tension. She's a very young stepmom, and so there's this tension between her and the children, and and her as a woman as well. Like how how capable she is of looking after these children, mm. um, and it also raises some really interesting uh, readings on mental health, which I don't think that it does a particularly good job of. Uh, I, uh, it's not. <laughs> it yeah. could have been. Yeah, it could it's, have been. It, it didn't. It didn't go deep. No, and I think that it's a bit so similar to what you were saying before about it not perhaps being aware of what the monster is. I feel like a lot of the time it's throwing, it seems to throw these ideas up that, that are, you know, ooh, cult past and ooh, religious imagery. But it doesn't really make sense as to what the real threat is and I don't think it's ever, it's, I mean, there is a resolution of sorts, but it's not really... It seems like the directors themselves are not clear. Mm. Like they include – it actually reminded me a little bit in the setup of um, – oh, I've completely forgotten the name uh, – Hereditary. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, just in the setup of the home, this very spacious, very beautiful home, um, but then having uh, – when they go out to the cabin – um, you know that there's that miniature home in their family home that's the mm-hmm. dollhouse that's mm-hmm. and then the doll you think maybe the dolls interact somewhat with what's happening and the horror that's about to unfold and I think it's done in an exceptionally clever way in hereditary and I, I really love mm-hmm. a lot about that film and I did find that film very scary but with this one I wasn't scared and I also thought for the setup I wish that it, something more had happened. I wish they could almost redo this film. It feels a little bit um, amateurish. Mm, set, like a, up, yeah, yeah. set up heavy. It's There's also the architecture. That's mm. another thing that played out in their other film. Um, it was very uh, sparse, modern, clean, white home sort of in the Austrian woods, mm. uh, like in the Black Forest or something in Goodnight Mommy. Um, so there's something about architecture that they like to play off. Mm. Um, I thought that you can see the way they even um, frame their shots and block it out. They make sure they have a lot of um, ceiling in the shots and textured Mm. ceilings and so forth so that it creates this little claustrophobic vibe. Mm. But there was something definite about that. The to call it the lodge, I'm still not entirely sure why they called it that because it doesn't really – I think they kept it as open-ended as they keep the film in that sense that they haven't exactly yeah. made up their mind. So the lodge is just so general. Yeah. And so they're not really giving anything away. I felt uh, when I saw it, I felt like a, a kind of little bit of a sense of letdown with the mm. audience at the end. I could see that they were like, <laughs> oh, yeah. is that it? I enjoyed the experience overall. That didn't, for me, um, I didn't feel completely let down or let down as such at the end but I can understand how a lot of people would be yeah I think um I had a few people giggling in my um screening I went to an afternoon screening today that's horror movies I think people feel uncomfortable so they they giggle you know you get a you get that I think a nice little point though is that these two filmmakers uh Veronica and Severin I think their their names are are actually um uh niece 
Oh, sorry, not niece. Nephew and aunt. Yeah, I love. <laughs> Which I what I, a fan, what a fascinating dynamic as well I with know. with having the family as the locus of of horror, which is you know so common, but it's interesting to work absolutely as a, as and a duo. It, and the the matriarchal thing mm. where so she, they've got you know they're not the type of nephew and um, aunt that are the same age that can p- potentially that can happen. They're actually a generation apart, so they kind of work out that. Dynam- dynamic on the screen yeah, with through malevolence I, and then they are actually, you know, nephew and aunt. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, there's something enjoyable about this and I think it comes down to the performances. I think they're all very strong. Um, I'd be interested to know what and, think of it. And we should say, not a matriarchal thing, but Danny Keogh is in it as the cult leader yes. who's um, Riley Keogh's father. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Many layers to this film. <laughs> but the matriarchal side is Elvis. That's the yeah. good side. <laughs> You're making me like this film more than I did, Emma. I don't know how well, you, you, you manage that. <laughs> anyway, The Lodge is now screening at all major and independent cinemas in Melbourne. You're listening to Primal Screen on 3RRR. You're listening to a RRR podcast. Discover more podcasts from Triple R, exploring science, technology, food, books, social issues, politics and more. To listen, hit up the Triple R website or your favourite podcast platform. You're listening to Primal Screen on Triple 3RRR with Emma Westwood and myself, Flick Ford. We're one film down and two to go. Uh, Richard Jewell came out the other week. Uh, and tells the story, the real-life story, of um, a suspicious backpack that is discovered at the 1996 uh, Summer Olympics. Um, uh, and Sorry, <laughs> I accidentally read ahead. Um, I don't want to give away any plot, plot <laughs> yes. details. Yeah, not yet. Um, but when he, after he's discovered, he's later vilified by a journalist and the press who falsely report that uh, Richard is a terrorist. Terrorist. So Emma, was did this? Uh... <laughs> I'm, trying I'm to, like, the only I've one got, you can throw. To, I know. So... I've got so many Clint Eastwood puns that I was just like looking at all of them. Like I don't know. None Make of them my are. day. <laughs> what have like, we got? Uh, yeah. Take your pick, <laughs> <laughs> Emma. What did you think of it? Yes. Well. Clint Eastwood is an interesting filmmaker these days. He's an old grouchy man and he can do whatever he wants basically and he has, um, as we all know, I think everyone has a certain image of Clint Eastwood that they take with them. Um, the Eastwood that we're seeing off in, especially this trilogy of the last three films that he's done, which are Sully, American Sniper and Richard Jewell, which are all in the last few years. I mean, this I think he's he's close to 90 now. Yeah. I mean, this is pretty amazing, the level um, of energy he still has <laughs> to make feature films. Um, all are these sort of stories of I feel that it's like his trilogy of greatest unsung American heroes or what, who he deems um, the greatest unsung American mm. heroes, which is very much um, uh, sort of reveals the uh, – Eastwood's um, libertarian leanings. He's very much um, uh, a libertarian, right-leaning libertarian. Uh, 
although it's interesting, he's critical of Trump these days. Well, recently he's backed Bloomberg. Yes, I saw mm-hmm. that. Yes, exactly. Um, but that's this belief in the, the, you know, the liberty of the individual and with this um, minimal interference from the state or government, which is interesting because there's a point in this film where um, Sam Rockwell as Bryant's pre- – did you see the print yes. on the wall that said <laughs> – How so- could you miss it? Yeah, I know. It came up in a number of shots, which was something about – I'm paraphrasing. I'm more afraid of the government than terrorism or something like that. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'll try to find it, but that, that sounds right. It was something like that. So, um, yeah, so it's this idea of with Sully and American Sniper, Richard Jewell, all in some ways probably the, the latter two more controversial than the others. It's all about this kind of victim of the state in some way yeah. and sort of the little American who's, <laughs> you know, um, mm. the little guy against the state. Um and it's interesting because this film presents this contemptuous, the kind of the contemptuousness of the profiling, stereotyping of Richard Jewell. What happens to him? He's being accused of, uh, well, going from hero and then setting up the situation to become a hero. So actually um, planting the bombs himself um, and basically saying that, He's, st- he's profiled as the kind of the loner, the one who wants to have greatness in law enforcement, has never got to be great, who's um, interested in bombs and firearms and everything. Um, he's then the, he's, the fingers pointed at him, right? Yet, and this has been the controversy with the film, um, it then offers up a stereotype of Cathy Scruggs. Oh, I was hoping that you would the bring journalist. this up. Yes. So as the, yeah. the merciless career journal and who sleeps her way to get a story. And um, although I have to say about this, and I feel kind of sorry for Olivia Wilde because I think within that stereotype, she does a really amazing oh, job. Olivia Wilde <laughs> is exceptional and I think she's got a really amazing on-screen um, presence. Yeah. But she has made a few missteps in her career. There's, yes. um, she yeah. was also part of a, a very problematic um, advertisement, I think it was two or three years ago, on Down syndrome. And, oh, um, I remember that one. Yeah. Yeah. She's made a few mistakes. Yeah. She she's, is great in this. She's though. great in the film. She is great. So her character is a little questionable. And the interesting thing is both Richard Jewell and Kathy Scruggs are now dead. Mm. So this is kind of – and the way that Eastwood presents it and the way – he has a um, a directorial style that he's slipped into that is very much documentary feel to yeah. it. And, well, these are – all these three films that have been his recent films are biopics. Um I often have trouble with biopics anyway. Not necessarily that I can't enjoy them, but I just find it – troublesome that people often look at them as documentaries and read them as documentaries yeah. when they they are not documentaries. Well, there's, yeah, there's such a responsibility and and uh, an ethical <laughs> responsibility Absolutely. To, well, to how you present those that story. Kathy Scruggs' family yes. have been really distressed by it. And, and understandably yeah. so. The, so the, the, the thing that we're touching upon is the fact that the, the film definitely – um, presents the story that she slept with uh, John Hamm's uh, character, Tom Shaw, who's a 
see. Um, he's a fake character. You know he's a fictional yeah, character. Yeah, he's he a composite character. Yep. So yep. they create this character that she then sleeps with for information. That's mm. definitely how it's presented. And there's nothing to support that. There's no evidence that that was their relationship nope. at nope. all um, or that that existed or that's how she got her stories. And it, I think that it's interesting especially because she's the only other part – well, the, the only other woman in the film who, who has um, a considerable – amount of dialogue would be Kathy Bates's Bobby Jewell, so he, um, Richard Jewell's mum. excellent. She is. She's excellent. But it, it did sort of create for me this dichotomy of like sort of mother-whore dynamic. <laughs> but that's the only two roles that women are given in this film. <laughs> Don't you think? Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. yeah. It, yes. Although Nadia... The Nadia was yeah, a great true. character. She's a bit of a yeah, so okay, so three women. And Nadia is and I did actually really love the chemistry between Nadia and um Sam Rockwell's oh what's his name? I've forgotten the character's oh, name. Bri- How about Bryant. His surname's yeah, Bryant of anyway. Yeah, yeah, Watson Bryant, the Watson, lawyer who defends him. Richard. Yep, yep. And I really love um Sam Rockwell's ter- performance in this. I just I thought did. It was I, yeah, very charismatic. I did too. I thought, and look, also the and who plays? Oh, I forget his name. Richard Jewell. You'll be able to tell. Oh me. yeah, Paul uh, Walter Hauser, who yeah. was previously in Itonia. Itonia, yeah, yes. which I loved. Yeah. <laughs> I got really into Itonia. I did too. I yeah. absolutely loved it. But I think that this uh, the I think this is a successful film. Although there's something about watching. <laughs> Clint Eastwood's films, uh, all these sort of film message films oh, that feel like I'm being, <laughs> I feel like I'm being toyed with in some way. Uh, I mm. don't know. I can't. I feel manipulated. I don't. Yeah. <laughs> it's a step further. Well, yeah. He, he's not as heavy handed as he's not in as heavy handed as a Spielberg, but it's still mm. there. It's still there, and maybe that's even more dangerous. I think that that's what I'm increasingly not liking about Clint Eastwood's films is this very much um, right-wing message that comes through in small ways, but I just found, like, this is the story you decided to tell? Like, this is how you decided to tell it? Well, I think I I really encourage everyone to read up a little bit more about this because it's one of those films where you read the story behind the film and it all of a sudden becomes more interesting. And especially if you read Kathy Scruggs' story, um, and she, both her and Richard Jewell, died young. Richard Jewell died of um, a heart attack. She was uh, through a more drug-related incident. But um, She was, I think, 40. She was, yeah, 40 and he was 44. But Mm. um, there was a whole – like Richard Jewell actually ended up suing um, some of the publications that published – what he what were deemed, you know, uh, incorrect facts about mm. him, um, but was not yeah. successful against the publication that Cathy oh, really? um, Scruggs, yeah, oh. worked for, and they 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 deemed that the judicial system deemed that she was actually reporting what was out there at the time, what was the facts presented, yeah. Because it's now like a landmark case, isn't it, that yeah. they use as an example of how not to be a journalist. Exactly, exactly. Like, don't well, do but this. But she, she didn't really recover mentally mm. from all of this and um, and I kind of felt that watching it that there was almost – do you know what I'd really love to see? I'd love to see Clint Eastwood follow this up with 
then the next story from it. Because <laughs> there is another story and there's an ongoing story yeah. from it. He just, there was, at the end, they just jumped six years forward I and know. kind of cap it off with a nice little oh, ending. Yeah. But, yeah. This film is yeah. a bit, I've found those moments, the, tonally, it's so sickly sweet. I got to the point where I was just rolling my eyes a lot through this film. I think yeah. it's it's such an easy watch in a lot of ways. He, he's he's an incredibly compelling storyteller. Yeah. He's very clever, and um, it, and, and, it, yeah. and and that's and the, the presentation of that concert scene with Kenny Rogers, you know, and everything at the <laughs> you know Atlanta they Richard you know they got Bobby Kenny Rogers in because Bobby Jewell is a massive fan. Like they were just oh, like have really? to yeah. <laughs> oh, that's yep. kind of sweet. It's a bit sweet, but the whole <laughs> this whole film is a bit too sweet for my liking. I found that just the. The performances are really good and uh, I did enjoy myself watching Watching, I was kind of – I was never bored with this yeah. film. But I just found – it just – I found the character himself very annoying and I know yeah. that's part of it. But I just found like you're meant to just instantly connect and, and sympathise with this man and I don't know if I necessarily did. I understood yeah. that, you know, he was yeah. wrong to be vilified and obviously he didn't do it and that's kind of – that's not a spoiler. Like, yeah. He's the wrong man. But I didn't – I just thought – I just wasn't really that fussed by the story. I didn't – I wasn't that on board with his story and I, I think th- – I don't know what it was about it. I think that it's it's really fascinating story of justice. I just wish that the spotlight had been less on him and more on the systems of control of the media that lead up to this and that, mm. that sort of question. I wish there had been more interrogation of that and maybe – equal spotlight given yeah. to those rather than it just being like, oh, look at this poor dude at the centre of this because I just didn't – wasn't that I did. Him. I liked the way that he was um, uh, presented in – he wasn't made fun of, which he could have been – like if you watch him in, in his role in I, Tonya, which is as the, <laughs> yes. you know – The boyfriend. The friend of Galuli yes. who decides to orchestrate according to I, Tonya, which – says its facts are very flimsy, mm. decides to orchestrate the attack on Nancy Kerrigan. Um, you know, he's he's a point of ridicule. Yeah. But um and and this character, Richard Jewell, could be that as well. But somehow he doesn't tip it over to that. So I thought yeah. that was quite good. But overall I'd say go back to Clint's first ever directorial um, movie which was Play Misty for me, yeah. 1971, yeah. and see a much better film. <laughs> <laughs> Hot tip, don't watch Richard Jewell. <laughs> anyway, if you have just tuned in, you're listening to Primal Screen. I know we're saying don't watch Richard Jewell. If you do want to see it, it is currently playing at all uh, major Who are we cinemas. to say that? Sorry, Who are yeah. we to say that? This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. Triple R is listener-supported radio and receives no direct government funding. If you would like to financially support Triple R by donating or becoming a subscriber, hit up rrr.org.au to find out how. Um, so, for our third film, um, we're going to be talking about Maya Newell's new documentary, In My Blood It Runs. The film tells the story of 10-year-old Juan, a child healer, a hunter, and a, a young boy who speaks three languages. He shares his wisdom of history and the complex world around him and we also get fantastic insight into his humour and healing abilities. However, he's struggling in school and facing a lot of pressure from both the welfare system and the police. 
Um, he spe- um, he also has a close encounter with uh, or threatened with incarceration and um, is tr- striving to hold on to his Aryan education alongside the westernised education he's receiving at school. Um, Emma, what would your um, – did this kind of make you want to – uh, return back to school. I was. Kind of, I found this a really um, heartbreaking film. So just even recapping on my notes from this have made me a bit emotional. I can see it yeah, has made you emotional. Yeah. I just watched it today, so it's so fresh with me. Well, I think that um, in <laughs> this might be a very strange comparison, but we were just talking about Richard Jewell and how that was, um, you know, not a doco a biopic presented in a, um, a very doco fashion. And what I found with In My Blood It Runs was it's a doco but presented in a very painterly cinematic fashion. Like it, mm. um, it doesn't feel like that rough and ready sort of fly-on-the-wall doco feel. It's, um, it goes to a lot of trouble to show a lot of beauty. And I think that's interesting in a film that definitely has um, uh, an action campaign attached to it, this idea of a – and not just – you know, one call to action, but a multi-pronged action campaign that's it's got behind it. So usually in presenting, in in rallying people to action, um, it's, it's often not that there will be presentation of beauty. There's usually more, and especially in terms of the blackfellow existence in Australia, showing squalor and, you know, all of the, but um, in saying that, I will say this doesn't fetishise the, the, you know, the regional black experience or anything yeah. like that. It doesn't fetishise it. Um, so instead it sort of treads this fine line very, very cleverly um, in celebrating, it felt like a story of positivity to me despite mm. the fact that it's showing quite alarming statistics in terms of the education of um, Indigenous Australia and First Nations people. I think it's got a sort of a broader First Nations feel as well. And if you look into the filmmakers as well, um, that's quite evident. Um, But in terms of education and especially um, in the criminalisation of young people. absolutely. um, Which was – and it focused on that, the the Dondale Detention Centre, which made headlines – couple of years ago, two or three years ago. Yeah. And how um, I think it's 100% black Australians. I think that's the number yeah. of it that are incarceration in terms of the juvenile um, population there, which it's is so, terrible. Oh, it's shocking. And um, for Indigenous people in Australia, they're the most incarcerated in the world. And it's, yeah. I think that what I – I mean, there's so many things I loved about this film, but particularly, as you're saying, the statistics around the incarceration rates and the the – engagement with the Don Dale Detention Centre um, event. You see it appear in lots of other um, film and TV shows. Um, I was thinking of Clever Man, and, mm-hmm. you know, it does a really obvious um, – that's by um, Ryan Griffin is the creator of that TV series and there's a lot of visual links to that in the show and I think that it's interesting having it directly addressed in, in a documentary mm-hmm. um, because it really is such a powerful event and it has um, – 
has so much resonance with what is what how how those young boys are being treated, yeah, and also how they're viewed. And I think it was really beautiful watching, especially opening with that lovely interaction. Um, we might even have a clip of it that we could play. No, maybe maybe not. Probably don't have time. But there is a beautiful <laughs> clip. <laughs> Carl's just waving at me to say, Going, no, "Don't do it don't. to me." There was this, uh, uh, there's a beautiful interaction between John and his mum, and it opens with that. And I just um, I loved the tenderness of him as a character like he's a, he's a real boy but like mm. you really got this fantastic sense of his humor and the gentleness of him and mm. um all of the interactions with his aunties and I just I just fell in love with it, the little boy I just thought he was such a sweetie he is gorgeous um we do have the clip oh. we might play it now just because I think it's quite a sweet little intro okay. for the film go for it how many kids do you have three what one do you love the whole tree, you say? <laughs> it's just so, yeah, I just loved their relationship. I thought that it was um, so intimate and yet dealing with all of these um, much broader topics, but it just, it, the, the centrality of him as this character, I just was so, um, just war- really warmed my heart and, and broke my heart many times over. <laughs> In equal measure. Um, I tried really hard to see this in a cinema, but all of the sessions were sold out. So I tried on four separate occasions. That's it amazing. Is, yeah, it is uh, very popular. And I know that a lot of those screenings have been Q&As. So yeah. there has been these um, huge desire to hear these stories, but also engage with them on a much deeper level. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know if yeah. you had similar issues. Well, did you, were you able to see it at the cinema? No, I, no, I, I had to go with No, no, no. Yeah. I had to go with the, on the back of the publicist's mercy yeah, yeah. to get to see it. But um, it's still, and I would have liked to have seen it in the cinema because I yeah. think this is very, as I've said, very cinematic. Oh, absolutely. It's um, beautiful. And there's, and there's a real um, tenderness to that as well. Like they, I, I just, I just found that the, um, the way in which it's filmed, and there's these little moments where they're staring up at the sky, like all of those things, just it kind of you get that sense of community and how important community is and what needs yeah. to be protected, and just little things about when they're the subtitles that are used, mm-hmm. and just that, like, oh, you need to be talking in our language, not not using English now. Yeah. And it was really, I thought That's, that was... That was interesting. The incorporation of um, white Australia I thought was really interesting because it had this kind of um, almost sense of um, big brother yes. because it was always sort of this um, authoritarian voice, like mm. either from the radio or the TV or as a teacher in yes. the school. Yeah, um, absolutely. So, yeah, and, and the it kind of it created this thread. I mean, even... In My Blood It Runs is, is something that uh, Juan actually says. Yeah. And I think it's interesting because it's almost Yoda speak, you know, in My Blood It Runs. Yeah. Because um, he is like sort of the wise one, you know. He's And yeah. you can see how this little, this child um, embodies such incredible wisdom. And that's, uh, he talks about this, and right at the start as well, he talks about this idea of memory and how he has mm. the memory in him. Um, and the healing stuff, you uh, you mentioned that, but that's really interesting because, you know, you don't often see that um, uh, and and presented in with such vindication on the, on the screen that he has this, um, he's, uh, he's inherited this from his grandfather and it's something yeah. that will pass on. And he has this responsibility on his shoulders. So he plays out like an old man, yet he goes to school 
and he gets in trouble for breaking windows <laughs> and being a, a child, you know. Yeah, so yeah. it's this kind of dichotomy. But the 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 way he's what happens to him at school is the way he plays out in white culture. Yeah. So, and also, I I was thinking about this this film, um, maybe even more so since I've, I've recently finished um, Dark Emu, Bruce Pascoe's book Dark oh, Emu, yeah, that yeah. talks all about the different. Um, agricultural practices of the Indigenous people and the way in which it just wasn't acknowledged as knowledge. So that how much yeah. has been lost. And I just thought that with the language and the way in which the schooling system works and that he's failing his, his classes, yeah. but it's just what we determine is um, worthy of, of being as, as knowledge, as, you know, formalised. Absolutely. In it's interesting because um, uh, I was talking to a family friend who works with IQs um, mm. of the the whole IQ testing and how that, you know, you'll get First Nations people who will read very low on an IQ score, but it's culturally positioned. Yeah. An IQ yeah. test is culturally positioned. Of course. I don't know whether you've ever been overseas and watched on TV um, who wants to be a millionaire in a different language in a different country and you see how all their reference points, like even the easy questions, you can't answer because they're all so culturally specific. Yeah. And that plays out even as a white person. It shows you, it gives you that litmus test when you realise and how it's yeah. yeah and how um oh how awful when it's your own country that you're and you're the being outsider you're of. being alienated yeah. from your lands yeah um the film that we've been talking about is in my blood it runs which has got a sort of strange release uh in terms of is is screening at a lot of cinemas but um, you can only host, for a short time. You can right? host your own screening. This yeah. is the thing. It's probably worthwhile going onto the website. Go onto the website, yeah. And so there's also, a lot of materials yeah, on there. Yeah, and there's also information about action that you can take and what, what, you can, what difference you can make. So I'd strongly encourage checking out the website for that. It's inmybloodatruns.com. Uh, you are listening to Primal Screen on 3 Triple R. Triple R on FM, digital, online and via the app. Thanks so much for being here. It means a lot. Hello, you've been listening to Primal Screen on 3 Triple R with Emma Westwood and myself, Flick Ford. We played with creepy, lifelike dolls and gazed at crucifixes in Veronica Franz and Severin <laughs> Viala's wintry new horror, The Lodge. We inspected suspicious packages left under benches in Clint Eastwood's security guard thriller, Richard Jewell. And we journeyed up to the NT for Maya Newell's doco, In My Blood It Runs. You can listen back to the show online within half an hour on 3RRR On Demand on the Primal Screen page at rrr.org.au right now. You can also subscribe to the Primal Screen podcast via iTunes or whatever uh, you use for your favourite podcasts. Next week uh, we'll be... I'm so excited about this. Shia LaBeouf's <laughs> Honey Boy and Lee Winnell's The Invisible Man. You got to interview Lee. Yes, we'll, so be, we'll, we'll be, be playing, playing that, that too. Yeah, so definitely tune in next Monday. A huge thank you to Morty Osborne for editing the Primal Screen podcast and Carl Chapman for putting up with my last-minute changes and paneling the show this week <laughs> and Lisa Kovacevic for producing our show. Thanks for listening to Primal Screen, a weekly radio show airing Monday evenings on Triple R. Hope you've enjoyed the podcast version and feel free to get in touch via the Primal Screen Facebook page or the Triple R website. 